You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Epic Marvel Podcast. And in this episode, we have an interview with Roy Thomas. Uh, you probably know him as editor-in-chief for Marvel in the 70s. And, you know, he did, a, he did a lot of work writing and editing for Marvel for pretty much every title you can think of in those early days. This year, 2019, is the 50th anniversary of his collaboration with Neil Adams on the classic X-Men 55 through 63. So when I emailed him, I asked him if we could talk about that specifically, but we got a good overview of his whole time on X-Men. Uh, packed into a short 30 minutes. There is a lot of information here, so I think you'll really enjoy this, this episode as we uh, dive into what it was like back in the 60s working on X-Men. Uh, just before we get to that, though, I want to plug the Patreon site, which is patreon.com slash thunderquack. You can support uh, my podcast plus the other podcasts on the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Uh, we are fortunate to be able to keep a lot of great content coming your way with your support. Another way you can support is by giving us a quick five-star rating on iTunes. I don't think I have very many of those right now, so it would be wonderful if you took a couple seconds to either rate us on the, the podcast app on your phone, your iPhone, or go to iTunes and, and give us a rating there. Uh, that would be much appreciated. Thank you very much. So enough blathering from me. Let's hear from the great Roy Thomas. Wow, so yeah, 50 years since uh, you've been working on X-Men way back in the 60s with Neil Adams. That was quite a, quite a groundbreaking run. And I'd love to talk to you about this, this run, but I think in order to properly talk about it, we need to back up and get a little bit of context f about where the X-Men was at the time. Can you tell me a little bit about your time writing the X-Men before um, the, your time with Neil Adams? Yeah, I actually... Uh... That was had two different spells in the X-Men. Uh, the first was around 1966, when after, I think with issue number 20, Stan stopped writing it, and one day uh, just handed me an already plotted story that Werner Roth had drawn uh, of, for X-Men number 20, and said, from now on, you're the X-Men writer. You know, so <laughs> Easy as that. That's basically it, yeah. So I, I worked on it for, I, I don't know, I guess around a year or something like that with Werner and a couple other people. Uh, Jack Sparling did a story. Uh, Dan Adkins did one and so forth. Both, it was Werner more than anyone. Uh, but I was kind of uh, eager to move on to something else. By that time, I was doing The Avengers and a couple of other books. And, and uh, I wasn't that wild about doing The X-Men. I don't think I was adding that much to it. It, it had never been a top seller under you know, Stan and Jack either. I think the highlight was, the high point was definitely The Sentinels story just a couple of months before he gave it to me 
But the fact remains that it had always been what the weaker of one of the weaker of Marvel's titles. It was like think about the last one, for example, to go from bi-monthly to monthly. And I, I don't think I brought anything particularly new to it. It sold okay, but uh, it it really wasn't going anywhere. I didn't really stand in didn't have even he, he nixed one or two ideas I had that might have shaken things up a bit. And I think that led me to just kind of. Well, okay, I'm just going to just go on writing stories month after month because whatever I offered, something that would kind of change it a little bit too much, uh, he didn't seem to like that idea. I suggested one particular new X-Men character, and he you know, wasn't wild about that, so I sort of gave up on it. So I went away, and first I turned over to uh, Gary Friedrich, and then later, uh, after a couple of issues after that, I think uh, to Arnold Drake, but uh, the book had been, you know, never, as I said, that hot, and it maybe declined a little under me, and then it kept declining. So Stan finally asked me to come back and, and write it again. I guess he felt, well, you know, I did it better than those other two guys or something. I don't know. He, he Maybe he just, you know, figured I'd come up with something. Uh, and I did, and I took over, and I, I think uh, Werner Roth and Don Heck had worked on uh, the preceding coalition with Werner, uh, with uh, Arnold Drake. And uh, then I, I came on and I did one with them, uh, inheriting a character that uh, Arnold had made up, who was Scott Summers' uh, brother, Alex. He hadn't decided whether he was a mutant or what, or anything of that sort, just, just introduced him as a brother character, and turned it over to me, and I did one issue to kind of turn him into a, uh, begin to turn him into a mutant, which I figured was what Arnold had intended anyway. Right. And then at that time, uh, Stan called me in one day, you know, and, and Neil Adams was at his office. Mm-hmm. Neil doesn't seem to remember this, but I had met him a time or two in the past. In particular, we used to have these Friday night sort of comics get-togethers at different people's apartments, and that for a while uh, the fan, uh, Bill Pearson, I think it was, was having them in his apartment. And some months before I had met Neil at one of those, I had seen his couple of stories, war stories and dinosaur stories and so forth that he had done at that stage for D.C., and I, you know, I liked uh, the artwork uh, very much, and, and we talked a little bit, and uh, I don't remember, you know, if he was familiar with my work or not. It seemed like he was, but, you know, in a general sort of way. And I was, in a general sort of way, familiar with his, you know. And I told him that, you know, if he was ever interested in coming over to Marvel, he should. But he seems to have forgotten that, but I guess Starenko had sort of suggested it to him. So Neil showed up and told Stan he wanted to do a... Uh, I guess he told me he wanted to do a, a title wasn't selling. He says, well, X-Men isn't selling. So he called him in and uh, said that Neil would like to be the next X-Men artist. And I said, great to me. And we got something else for the regular artists, you know, who were doing the book, uh, who had been doing the book with me. And Neil and I became the new team. Wow. Now, you look at Neil's stuff, and it's just so different than than what was going on at the time. What was your reaction to seeing to seeing Neil's artwork? Well, it was wildly favorable, much more so even than I had been to the work he had been doing before. I guess by then he'd been doing Dead Man also, you know, and so forth, which was a strip that we uh, uh, had liked. That had, he'd, he'd done that, I think, pretty much uh, since I had talked to him at that uh, Friday night uh, mm-hmm. fan get-together. So I, I, it was, you know, I, I mean, I, I was not terribly surprised he was going to do a really good job. I think he did an even better job. He took the... Uh, you know, the basic story and, you know, kind of, kind of reworked it to suit himself. And that was fine with me. You know, I didn't care if I was the, uh, the editor and the, the writer, if Neil wanted to change it a little bit, well, you know, if I didn't like it, I could always get him to change it back, but I did <laughs> like it. So I, I kept it. And, uh, we, we, we all worked 
pretty well together. Not quite the way Neil seems to remember it, but otherwise we worked pretty well <laughs> together. Yeah, so did you need to use your sort of editorial skills to to help him with the storytelling at all, or did he have a good grasp on no, that? It, it, no, ordinarily, see, I, I had been writing a, oh, I don't know, probably a two- or three-page plot or so out, almost invariably for the X-Men stories, and for most Avengers stories, too. So a few of those have been reprinted because they've sort of turned up. And, you know, the basic story would always sort of be there. Uh, I don't remember if there was a story already in place, if I had already typed out something for the next issue when Neil showed up or whatever. But uh, it didn't matter because, uh, you know, he, he you know, was going to you know, make some changes to it, and that was fine with me. As a matter of fact, I offered to let him write it because he had written a few stories for Marvel, and I had no desire to write the X-Men. So I, but he said no uh, and everything, that, you know, I sh- you know, should stay on as the writer, which was probably, <laughs> you know, uh, in a way, the cause of part of the problem, because if you got Roy Thomas, the writer, uh, you know, he also got Roy Thomas, the the editor, because, you know, subject to Stan, I was basically the editor of the book. Right. Uh, and uh, But that, that was okay, because we really never had any great quarrels over the uh, direction. Uh, I, I don't know if it was he or I who particularly discussed the Sentinels, but I know I had wanted to do another Sentinel story, because I thought that was the highlight of what Jack and Stan had done together. So that became the next storyline once we finished that off. I, I, I Particularly, I remember in that first story, the actual stories and exactly what he drew or what the story was didn't make too much difference. The main things he added were certain design elements. For example, he designed this great, I was going to call um, Scott's mutant brother Alex, you know, Havoc with a K. You know, that was a name I'd... That, that I made up for him, mm-hmm. uh, I guess taking it from the old you know, Shakespearean quote from Julius Caesar, cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. Right. And that, that occurred to me and so forth, so I made up the name Havoc. And Neil gave him this great uh, costume, which uh, I think you know, he was one of the few people could ever really handle it, so I guess they abandoned it later, which, which basically was like an all-black costume, and, you know, and the, except that the, uh, the amount of uh, power he was radiating you know, showed on his chest like radiating white circles. And that, that was really uh, uh, quite a startling design element and so forth. So I, I let Neil, you know, play to his strengths and let him do, to a great extent, uh, you know, what he wanted to do. And at the same time, they were the things that I wanted to do. We had a few uh, conferences here and there. Some of them would be over lunch. Some of them would just be at the office. Uh, maybe a couple of them were, if he was already, if he already had his, art studio with continuity then they may have been down there you know we saw each other a number of times so it wasn't any trouble to uh, we always you know talked over a story and then he would go away and draw uh, because he preferred to do it that way he's now come up with this thing where somehow he told stan he insisted on working marvel style well there was no book at the time there was no superhero book at the time that wasn't being done that way it's not (laughs) like he had a choice right okay if he had said he didn't want to i wouldn't have worked with him i don't know the other writers stan wouldn't have wanted him working that way it's it's just like a case of a false memory, I suppose. Yeah. So I think one of the things that you brought to X-Men was giving each of the X-Men characters more of a, an individual personality. Uh, they were they had their own personality for sure, but they were very they still were very similar. You you stretched them and pushed them a little further through your run. Do you recall that? Well, perhaps I did. I wasn't consciously doing that. I you know I, I guess I was just continuing along the lines you know that they were already going. I mean, you know, the angel was this rich guy with a sense of privilege. You know, Cyclops was kind of tortured by the fact that he could do all this harm. Admittedly, Marvel Girl was kind of a cipher, you know, didn't have a lot of personality except to be the girl, you know, the girlfriend. 
tried to develop her a little more. And of course, Iceman was the impetuous teenager, and mm-hmm. the Beast was kind of the uh, the intellectual. I had a lot of fun with him because I like to do the all the uh, uh, balloons with the big words and so forth. I got a, a kick out of that. I yeah. enjoyed writing the Beast probably more than any of them. But I was, as far as I was concerned, I was just you know whether somebody else would be to judge what I might have done. I was simply trying to continue it in the best tradition of what I thought was what Stan and Jack had done, and now I had this terrific artist you know, who contributed a lot of elements to the plot. He didn't give me the stories, and I just dialogued them, but he did contribute to the plots, and that meant that the book, you know, got uh, just better. It had any virtues I might have given it, plus it had the virtues Neil brought to it. Now, you also had at the time the little feature called Origins of the X-Men, and those were not not drawn by Neil as well. Uh, You kept Warner Roth doing those ones. Yes, it was partly to give Werner a little something to do, although he had some other work. But it was also because uh, Neil was still doing work for DC, and I think he was doing work outside comics. And it was an attempt to make it easier for him to deliver a, a comic if he didn't have to deliver quite as many pages per month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. But then uh, within a couple of issues, he wanted to do the whole thing, so we kind of eased those out because he wanted to do the uh, the book every month. But of course, that simply contributed to our deadline problems. The, <laughs> the book was always, you know, uh, always late, but we always somehow got it in in time, just barely. Now, it was shortly after this run with Neil that the, the title got canceled altogether, or, or just it went into reprints, rather, sorry. Well, it was canceled, because it was, I think there's a several-month lapse before it went into reprints, so yeah. It didn't just, you know, get canceled, and then the reprint started, like, almost right away. Isn't there something like five or six months in between? Yes, that's true, yeah. yeah. I think what it is is it took that time for uh, the publisher, Martin Goodman, to see that the book actually was increasing in sales. I know that a couple of issues... At least two issues, I remember, did sell quite well. One was the the, the cover with the big Kazar figure on it, mm-hmm. uh, which which was a Neil cover. The other Neil issue that sold the best, which was not Neil's cover and which I didn't write, was the the one that Marie Severin did the cover for. And oh. that, those two sold the best, I remember, of any of those issues. Okay, that was the one that where Neil came to me and said he'd he'd like to plot an X Men. I mean, it's interesting if he was already doing that all along. He thought he wouldn't have to mention it to me, but he said he'd like to plot an issue. And I said, you know, fine. I mean, obviously he wasn't going to get paid any extra. He was going to get paid for drawing it. If he wanted to plot an issue, just because he wanted to plot it, I was willing to uh, to let him do it. We didn't discuss whether it'd be any you know credit or whatever. But the money for the writing was going to me. The writing for the art was going to him. If he wanted to do a little more, you know, I'd let him, but I didn't particularly, you know, want him to. But he did, and what happened is that I, uh, when I saw the story, it looked fine to me, but, you know, not having plotted it, not, it not having been, you know, even partly my idea, I just didn't feel much connection with it. So since I was kind of busy with other things, I just gave it to uh, Denny O'Neill to write. I was always looking for excuses to kind of, you know, bring Denny over and have him be doing some writing for Marvel since he was kind of hot at D.C., Neil was, not because he didn't like Denny's writing, but he was just very unhappy that I, you know, did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am too now, because otherwise I would have done all the, the, the issues that Neil did. Right, yeah. But it is interesting that one of the two covers that sold, the, one of the two issues of, X, of our X-Men that sold, uh, of I can't even say our, of the Adams penciled X-Men that sold the best was the one he didn't do the, the cover for. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's just kind of strange. It shows you that it wasn't, you know, once it got once the X Men kind of started going, it 
you know, it it was just began to continue to do well. That was like about the second last issue, or yeah. just about. And it's number sixty five. Uh, yeah, and it it was about the second last issue, and it just shows it was selling, and it wasn't just you know, uh, it was Neil's artwork, but it was also other things because you know we had one issue in there drawn by Don Heck. Uh, with uh, Tom Palmer inking that introduced Sunfire, and that one sold okay. I mean, you know, not as well as those two, but that sold okay. And then the last issue by Sal, and I suspect it sold well too, and would have continued to sell well if Neil hadn't come back to the book. And, uh, you know, the publisher saw that these later issues were selling increasingly well, so he it, it occurred to him, uh, as close as he ever came perhaps to admitting a mistake, that, you know, maybe he shouldn't have canceled X-Men, but instead of bringing it back, uh, since he was, you know, that was a time when he was into uh, doing a lot of reprinting and so forth to bring as much money as possible out of the company, uh, he just brought it back as a reprint book, you know, which, of course, you know, didn't sell especially well. Hmm. I mean, it limped yeah. along, but, you know, it wasn't the same as having Neil, New Adventures by Neil and me, you know. Now, when you say it sold only, um, you know, sort of well, uh, what kind of numbers are we talking about uh, for the reprint versus the Neil issues? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think because uh, the figures that were printed in the books, everything weren't always accurate. They might have been fairly accurate as a, as regards print runs. I think the print run was I don't know what was it three four hundred thousand something like that. But you know, at this stage, I, I the the one thing I remember is that that uh, about the time that Doctor Strange was canceled, which was around the same time as X Men was canceled. Yeah, it was it had a print run of somewhere between what three hundred fifty to four hundred thousand. I, if I'm not mistaken, but whatever it was, it was selling about 42% of that. Oh, okay. And, you know, at this time, that would be something like, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand, uh, a little less. They'd send up rockets to have sales like that now. But on, but with, uh, you know, with a cover price of, what, 12, 15 cents, 20 cents, it was not enough to keep it going. And I suspect, I suspect X-Men was mostly in that 40 or something percent range, and that the Better selling issues were getting up to fifty or so, you know, because it was it was a time when uh, the sales just they had kind of dripped dropped down in about sixty eight or so, about the time that we expanded those three monthly titles into six, you know, solo character titles. Right. Yes. That's right. You know, where, where Tales of Suspense suddenly became Captain America and Iron Man as two separate books and that kind of thing, and uh, that seemed to coincide with a kind of a drop in comic sales for whatever reason. Maybe it was overexpansion in part. Maybe it was post, you know, Batman TV show. Maybe it was anything else in the country. It's hard to say what. You know, the comics were always a cyclical business. I don't know exactly what it was, but it would have been somewhere in that range, selling 40-something percent. But we were edging up into the 50s, and that was that was good enough that uh, obviously it was a mistake for Goodman to have canceled X-Men, but, you know... Uh, it was too late for that. Neil was gone, I was gone, and they just brought it back as a as a reprint. Yeah. What do you think it is? It's hard to imagine the X-Men ever being not popular. What do you think it was back then that, that kept it from really skyrocketing? Well, a lot of uh, factors. One of the things, I think, from the beginning that didn't help uh, was that they all, they all kind of looked alike. You know, they wore these same uniforms. I mean, I know the Fantastic Four had gotten away with that, but they had uh, they had the thing, you know, and they had the torch bursting into flame, you know. So the two of them didn't didn't seem to be wearing uniforms most of the time, anyway, right? right the two right. most popular torch was always red and yellow, and the thing was this big monstrous orange rock. Uh, but with the X Men, except for Iceman, 
uh, you know, they, they just all look like these guys in the school uniforms, and I think that was part of it. I know that I had earlier, uh, I was responsible for finally giving them individual costumes. I felt like, uh, you know, the uniform thing just really wasn't working. But somehow I, I think that, you know, it just was an idea whose time hadn't quite come and it didn't quite, it hadn't quite, quite found its right uh, writer, even Stan, let alone me or anybody else, you know, really wasn't quite the right writer to put it together. And it, it took uh, that change in the 70s and in particular probably uh, Chris's approach, you know, Chris Claremont's approach to uh, really uh, expand the X-Men, to, uh, to make it, to, to start playing with the, the, the dynamics, to bring more women into it, and to play up that aspect even more, which I think Neil and I were, you know, edging in that direction and had some influence on that, mm-hmm. and which, you know, Chris realized much uh, more greatly than we did. I think we, you know, we'd have reached the sum of that. I don't think we'd have ever done it gone as far, and maybe wouldn't have reached those heights. Yeah, uh, where X Men became basically the most popular, you know, Marvel title for some time. But I think that if Neil and I had continued it, you know, we'd have, and, and even if another artist might have come in, we might have. Uh, I think X Men would have continued to to get more popular uh, once it once it got going and people were paying attention. I think we could have continued it. I think maybe if Sal had stayed on as the artist or whatever. I, I'm not really sure why Neil left. I don't remember if he was ever planning to come back after that one issue or, or not, it became kind of academic because after that one issue by Sal, the book was killed. Right. I'd like to list off a few names of people who worked on X-Men back in this day, and I'd just like to hear some of your recollections of who they were, or these are names that don't get thrown around a whole lot these days. Werner Roth sure. being one of the main ones, since he was on the book for so long. Can you tell me about uh, Werner Roth? Yeah, I can't even ever find a picture of him. Um, he was a middle-aged man, uh, a, little, a little stocky, uh, very mild-mannered, uh, very soft-spoken. Uh, never really got to know him that well. We we might have had a cup of coffee together or something, but we never really talked very much. So I don't, you know, so I, I never really got to know him. I saw him occasionally in passing, but we never really had any conversations that enabled me to. Uh, to, to get to know him, hmm. I you know I, I just I never got the idea he was very you know passionate about his work you know it was just uh, it was just his, his job and I think that's one of the reasons that maybe it didn't that the work wasn't more exciting he caught the externals of the Kirby look but he didn't get any you know he didn't catch the uh, the excitement you know and right. it, it's a shame because he was really a good artist you know with a lot of technical skill. Do you know why he was using a pen name at the beginning? I think he was still doing some romance and different things for DC, and you know, oh, okay. it was, I think that was the reason, just the same way as the, all of them did. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, how about Jack Sparling? Yeah, Jack Sparling was an artist who, I think, a fairly good one who uh, bounced around from this company to that company. I, 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 I liked the slightly more realistic approach that he brought to that one issue he did. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and he had this, uh, I remember this big bushy beard, and again, I, I don't think I ever met him more than like once or something, so I don't have much recollection of him. He was a nice, friendly guy, and I think he uh, he delivered a pretty good job. It wasn't really what Stan was looking for. He, he I think I, I think as a matter of fact, I remember around that same time uh, he penciled one issue, one one uh, ten page story of Captain America for Tales of Suspense, and as soon as Stan took a look at it, he gave it to me to dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> because I think I think he just really you know wasn't that wild about him, and I think that he could have, uh, with a little work, he could have uh, done the kind of work that Stan was looking for for Marvel. But 
whatever was in his approach didn't grab Stan too much. So after those couple of issues, he didn't really want to give him any more work. Okay, wow. Uh, Dan Adkins. Adkins. Yeah, I met Adkins just a week or so after I came to New York. Where he was working at Wally Wood's studio on Thunder Agents at the time, you know. And I was taken to meet him and Wally and so forth. And uh, he was a relatively young artist, of course, who had come out of science fiction, uh, doing science fiction magazine illustrations and a lot of fanzine work. Uh, and he developed a very nice uh, ink style. I think he already had part of it, and he developed more of it while working for Wally Wood because uh, and everything. And uh, he uh, he was he was very good with you know swipes, and that's one of the things I guess he he was maybe already doing before, but that he particularly picked up for Wally and maybe betrayed it in the end. You know that he that you could sort of look at it and see where everything had come from and a little bit too nakedly. And I think that it prevented people from getting as excited about his work because, you know, one time it seemed like a Kirby picture and one time here's a Kubert Hawkman figure used for the angel and so forth. Mm, right. And, and, uh, but he, he, I think he tied it together pretty well. I always enjoyed, you know, working with him. None of these people that I know that well, Dan was a little closer to me in age, I suppose. I think he might have been a year or two older or something, but okay. uh, and everything. But again, I didn't know him, didn't ever get to know him that well, but I always I always liked him. Uh, it was hard to trust anything he said. He had a tendency to tell a lot of, shall we say, fibs, you know, okay. even when he didn't have to for no particular reason. He just seemed to want to. Uh, but I liked him, I thought, I, and I think he was a talented guy, but eventually it seemed to work out better to have him just ink. He was a good inker because he could pencil well enough that he could fix up artwork and, you know, make it look uh, look better with his inking. How about Arnold Drake? He was the writer for the Jim Starenko issues. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, Arnold had been, uh, along with having the basic idea for Dead Man and doing the first story, he had also been the originator of uh, uh, Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. So when he showed up at Marvel uh, looking for some work because he wasn't getting enough work at DC or whatever the problem was, he was one of the few writers that DC that Stan, you know, was happy to uh, would have been happy to welcome in. It, somehow it didn't quite work out. Somehow he had a style that at DC seemed like a Marvel type style, but when it came to when he came to Marvel, it didn't seem quite fitting. Somehow I, I would have thought that since X Men was a little like Doom Patrol, I would have thought it would have fit and would have worked really well. But somehow I don't know, it never quite came to life. And neither Stan nor I thought his X Men was as good as. Uh, somehow his Doom Patrol was. Right. But a very bright, nice guy. I remember he used to drive us crazy because he'd come in the office. In those days, you could still smoke inside, and he had these really smelly Turkish cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, a very, very uh, a very nice, entertaining guy. I'm sorry I didn't see more of him. He, of, of the people you've mentioned, he's probably the one I would have most myself enjoyed spending more time with. Mm-hmm. But did he move back to D.C. after after X-Men then? Did more X, yeah, and off. And he did went off to Gold Key. Did a lot of work for Gold Key oh, okay. after that. Right. More, more, more Gold Key than DC. Okay, there's um, one writer who did one of the backup stories in X Men, Linda. Linda Fight. Fight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Fight. F I T E. And I've never even heard of her yeah, before. She, yeah, she came to work uh, for you know for Marvel from uh, out of college and took a job in the Marvel offices and wanted to write. You know, she just kind of originally she was just kind of an office worker secretarial type work etc but she wanted to write and uh, so we, we gave her a crack at some stories and she did quite well with it uh, uh, a couple of westerns and then when I, th- I think I'm not sure I suspect that Werner may have actually sort of plotted that uh, X-Men backup I think we may have 
when I had, when I wanted to do a, a Marvel Girl story, I think you know Werner and I may have just talked it over vaguely, and he went off and did something. I'm not sure I gave him a real plot for it. I don't, uh, and I think it was just when he brought it back in. Uh, I thought you know there was no reason for me to write this. I was pretty busy, and I thought might might benefit from a, a woman's touch. And Linda wanted to write stuff, so I gave it to her, and I think she did a nice job with it. And I think you know she could have done some more uh, excellent work, but then she. She sort of moved on, I think, for uh, she, because uh, Marvel's job didn't pay too well, so I think she eventually moved on because of that. But in the meantime, of course, she, uh, you know, she met Herb Trippi, who was uh, in the, I don't know if he was in, already in the course of getting a, a divorce from his first wife, but he did shortly afterward. And of course, then they got married and were married for several decades. Oh, I had no idea. Okay, okay, now it all comes together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She never took the name Linda Trippy, I don't think, but it was. But uh, they were married for, they got married sometime by the late '60s or so, and they were married for several decades. Nice. Eventually, for, uh, Herb ended up with a, a third wife, but uh, but Linda was the woman he was married to longest. No, I'm, I'm sorry, I've just been kind of rambling on. I, I, it has been fantastic information. Yeah, but uh, well, there's a lot of a lot of it. I guess I talk fast enough to give a lot of yeah. information, but it's. <laughs> yeah. It's it's it is interesting that, to think about a time when the X Men was you know relatively unpopular, but you know it had its moments. I mean, in the early days and with the Sentinels thing, understand and Jack, and then with uh, I think Neil and I brought something to the table and so forth. And I always felt, uh, and maybe especially bec- uh, because of uh, what Neil and I had done, and the kind of frustration of having it canceled out from under us, that uh, you know X Men should return. I don't think there was ever a chance that it wasn't going to return sometime or other, and as luck would have it, you know, we found the perfect way to return it by having by turning into a more, not just bring back the X-Men, which would have been the thing that we would have originally probably been thinking of doing, but then the uh, uh, the then president of the company, Al Landau, made the suggestion about doing some book that had heroes from other countries in it, so we could sell to those countries, and that's mm. and I said, well, we should make that the X-Men instead of just bringing back the X, as we would have otherwise probably done. Uh, just bring back the X-Men, uh, you know, bring back those five characters, maybe add somebody else or something. But, uh, you know, let's just bring back a couple of them and a bunch of new characters and have an international group of X-Men, and we can bring in people from whatever country we want to. And uh, one of my relatively last acts as uh, editor-in-chief in 74, I suppose, was to give that over to uh, writer Mike Friedrich and artist uh, Dave Cockrum and have them start working on it. And it, it got stalled for a few months, and uh, then when Len, then Len Wein, as the when he was the editor in chief, took over, uh, decided I don't I, I don't know if he really even knew that Mike Friedrich was the assigned writer, but if he if it was he forgot it, and he took over as the writer with uh, although Dave was still the artist, and they brought the book back a little bit later, pretty much as we had uh, designed it, except they kind of lost that roadmap of. Uh, of using characters from countries where we wanted to sell more comic books, you know, <laughs> yeah. because because they had yeah the Soviet Union, Kenya, these were not places we were going to sell a lot of comics. <laughs> right. to. But it but it was a good idea anyway, so it worked out fine. You know, it, right. it didn't. It would have worked out if we had had them uh, be all you know uh, from European or, or other countries. But in some ways, it worked out better because then we weren't constrained to maybe more English-language countries or something, you know, which okay. is probably what we would have emphasized. This way, we they could go off and have a, you know, a German and a Russian and a, you know, a Kenyan and whatever we wanted, you know. So uh, it, it worked out quite well, and 
uh, what we had started just became the impetus for what became, you know, what uh, first Len and especially Chris with uh, first Dave and then John Byrne turned into a really excellent comic book. Yeah, wow. It just shows you, you, you know, you just we were just all, try, each of us trying to do our job and contributing. I think Stan and Jack contributed the initial idea. Neil and I, I think, uh, you know, moved it along in another direction and then, you know, Len and Chris and the artist took it up from there. So, uh, you know, each of us was just trying to do our job and contribute to to it, and eventually uh, the right team came along and made X-Men a huge hit. Yeah, And yeah. it's remained popular ever since. Well, I appreciate your time, Roy. This has been fantastic, and I want you to uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And, uh, yeah, and thank you. Thank you again for talking with us. Well, thank you very much. 